The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So I want to read to you. Uh, I taught, uh, many years ago, I taught a retreat in Canada. And after the retreat was over, this person who was at the retreat sent this to me. He wrote, um, In April last year, I witnessed a remarkable act of life-saving. I was one of four men in a cancer ward recovering from surgery. My surgery was to remove melanoma cancer in my lymph system. My recovery was going well, and I was able for long periods of the day to observe quite comfortably the comings and goings in the ward. Opposite me was a man in his early 70s who had his esophagus and stomach removed and who was trying to cope with the trauma of this outcome and to learn to feed via tubes that went into his body. His body was not reacting at all well to the diet or to the feeding process. And early one morning, he had failed to reach the bathroom in time while trying desperately to do so. He was shaken, humiliated, and dejected. The nurse, just going off duty, helped him back to bed and settled him down, but he looked awful. The new nurse came in, attended to each of us, but I could see her watching this patient at all times. She dispatched dispatched her time with each of the other three patients, me included, quickly and efficiently, then turned her attention almost undividedly through her shift to the older man. She brought in experts and did other things that I'm sure were technically and professionally correct. But it was the quality of the care, the way she spent time with him, the compassion she brought to this humiliated, depressed, defeated human being that really caught my interest. She held his hand often, spoke comfortingly to him, explaining what she was arranging and encouraging him to feel okay about how the day was unfolding. She was physically present with him frequently during the day. By the end of the shift, near the end of the day, he was looking cheerful, communicating with us, and moving with some degree of confidence and comfort. Late in the afternoon, I moved over to his bed and told him that he was looking good and that I thought he was very brave. He smiled and said he was feeling a lot better than he had in the morning and that at the beginning of the day after his accident in the hallway, he felt his life slipping away. He felt useless, helpless, and held out little hope of coping. I felt my last day had come. I believe this might well have been true. What was important for understanding what was going on was that he believed this feeling, and it had consequences for how he started the day. The compassion in the nursing process may have had as much to do or more with his recovery than any technical practice that was provided to him. Perhaps compassion gave him a chance. He was still in the ward when I left, and I don't know how he did subsequently. Weeks later, I wrote a letter to the hospital administrators applauding the nurse's work. So, active compassion to do something. Uh, it's, uh, it, you know, this idea of karuna, meditating on compassion, having infinite compassion for the world is a great thing. Sit there and retreat and go on lots of compassion, we just radiating compassion, caring for the world, feeling like you're a Buddha, just caring for... That's nice, for sure. But it's, if it's not tested, if it's not some sooner or later applied to the world, it's just a nice thing. And... Um, so sooner or later, the hope is that the, the, our compassion is actually something we, we act on, too. And that's not just an aspiration and a wish. And so how do we respond to the world? How do we care? I would like to believe that the nurse um, was able to, uh, like the Buddha, in her profession, was able to smile as she did her work. She did it maybe calmly, relaxedly. She did it in an open way. She wasn't distressed. She wasn't upset. But she offered a lot of presence to this man and made all the difference in the world. So what can you do? 
what kind of what what what, is, what are your, your experience of active compassion? What is what have you been touched by other people's compassion? What is it that in you today? <clears throat> what suffering do you carry today? That would be nice if you had someone who, like the nurse, was there with you physically, was present for you, who met you and offered you the half smile or offered you the support, the care, the encouragement. What is needed? So with those words, I thought I would just open the floor and see if any of you want to say anything whatsoever. Um, Going back to the last um, session together, when you said, imagine you're suffering and two people come up and they're both compassionate. And I imagine both of them, but then I identified with the one, I'm wringing my hands. I'm saying, we have to do something. I don't know what to do. And then the question, um, what are you willing to let go of? I thought, I'm willing to let go of blaming someone. I'm just thinking of a specific friend of mine who's suffering. I'll let go of blaming someone for her suffering, I'm particularly blaming her for her suffering. That's a great help, right? And I'm willing to let go of the responsibility to fix things for her, and I'm willing to let go of my desire to control her behaviors and her thoughts and her words. And I felt like a lot of fog cleared for me with those questions. Mm, nice. Thank you. There's a mic here. Yeah. Or we can do it. keep the mic out. Two sides. Thank you. I was reminded of this um, time I spend in Calcutta with Mother Teresa in different uh, homes that she had. And uh, I wasn't um, really supposed to touch or massage anyone. And this woman was so angry and 
is sitting up and screaming at people, and I don't know language, so um, I didn't know what's going on. I just went and I held her and put the head down and just held her. I was a proactive therapist at Reiki, you know, so I just held her. And, and tears stopped coming down, and, and I just, just, just was there, you know, for her. I didn't know the language, nothing. And after that, everybody around, the women, would call me, and I go, <laughs> and they take my hand, and they go, like, massage me. And I wasn't allowed to do it, but I, I would do it. It doesn't matter, you know, I just do it. But that experience, I was there for two months, and uh, it was just amazing. There was, sorry, I have to say this. I have a woman who came in. She was raped and thrown in the street, a young woman. And we had to clean her up and shave her head because they had lice in their head. And, and so I was doing that. And, and suddenly I look at her. She's giving this big smile. I mean, so to say, she was, her uterus was out, gangrenous. And I didn't know what, you know, and I looked at her with the smile on her face. I just smiled her back. The gratitude that she had was like teaching to me. Just, I'm just there, mm. you know, just present. And that always is, it's just my mind, how I can be there like that. And I'm, it, it was amazing, that experience, especially with Mother Teresa there. You can see what she was doing with that compassion, because if not, she would have been dead, you know, years back because it's very hard unless you just do open heart and without distress. Mm, yeah, great. Thank you. I went to a Bible camp, and um, I was frustrated and upset, and I was what you called a bad little kid. I had a lot of energy, and I was very loud, and I guess I was, must have been being very disruptive. And um, one afternoon when all the campers were supposed to be asleep in their bunks, the camp nurse sent for me, and she was a, some nurse missionary that had been in Africa or whatever, and so she sat me down beside her on the picnic table and she started asking me questions about, you know, my life and being at home. And the whole time she talked to me, she took her hand and stroked down my back slowly and gently. And I just calmed down so much, it was amazing. And I must have been about eight or nine years old and I've never forgotten that. <laughs> so, yep. So just... You know, that's where I have experienced it, receiving and giving. I have an opportunity to work with people every day, and yesterday I had to take a guy for a colonoscopy. We have the theme of colonoscopies today, I hear, so um, it was about six hours with a guy who's developmentally delayed and doesn't believe that he's got diabetes, you know, he can eat whatever he wants, and just very agitated. And he deals with his anxiety by repeating the same question over and over again. Are we, are we done now? Are we done now? Can, I, can we go and get Kentucky Fried when we're finished? Can we go and get Kentucky Fried when we're finished over and over? How many times can you say, yes, yes? What did I say? Yes. So I got into Kentucky Fried Chicken. Well, how many pieces do you want? Do you want white or dark meat? You know, what kind of soda do you like? And... It was just so cool. I don't know what's wrong with this thing, but it was just so cool to be in relationship with him. And again, like, like you were saying, over a long period of time, just to be able to help somebody who, on a very simple level, could, could only grasp so and so much and only had so and so much self-soothing that he was capable of mustering. So that felt really good, you know? It felt like a really good use of the money the company paid me yesterday. <laughs> 
Thank you. I just want to add one comment to what you said, and that's um, how are you going to use yourself as something to think about in the moment? And I don't know if it fits into the, the Buddhist practice, but to really be conscious of it. Um, what's needed, but how am I going to use myself in this moment? Sometimes compassion can backfire a little bit. Um, I'm in a living situation where my landlord is really very ill. Uh, he has type 1 diabetes and and he had fallen and bruised his hip, his uh, his ribs, and he was in a lot of pain. And I've been there to work with him and help him. And um, I offered him to give him some ibuprofen. And I took it and I set it in front of him with a glass of water. And he blew up at me big. He's a very calm person, but he blew up big time at me. And I was stunned. But I could see that his anger and his rage and his sorrow and his hurt, physical and emotional, was way beyond anything that I had done. And I was blown away, and it was a huge challenge. And the compassionate challenge for me was just to kind of hold all that, to be a witness to it and kind of create the space for it. And I was able to do that, and I quietly left but boy, I was licking my wounds for sure. I was like, I didn't ever want to have anything to do with him again. And of course, over the next week or so, I had to take some chances, and he basically kicked me out of his house. That was the upshot. I was coming in, I was coming in too much and just getting too involved. And so I, it was an exercise in compassion to see all that and not take it personally and go back and begin to ease my way back into the situation and, um, and forgive him. Some forgiveness, too, was, was a challenge, but uh, that's my little story. Thank you. But then let you try that one and see if it makes a difference. have a hard time digging up things of my being compassionate because I've never believed I was a compassionate person. But um, when I was very, very ill, I was up in a, a medical center in Reno and uh, my son, I didn't realize it until afterwards, but he, he came up to pick me up, to take me home for Thanksgiving or something like that. 
And the whole time he was, I wondered why he kept the window open, kept kind of hanging his head out. And then he told me later that he had, was sick himself. He had the flu or something. But he didn't want to leave me up there over the holidays in that place, you know. So I just, I just think of that a lot about how much he supported me during that really, really hard time. Mm, nice. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I just want to say to Mary, um, um, since I've been coming here um, in, since June, that today I experienced so much compassion and love coming from Mary. Mm-hmm. And it really touched me. She, I really, I was. I mean, I didn't know her, and we were talking in the little group, and you were the most compassionate person. You listened to me, I listened to you, and we really made a connection coming from different backgrounds and also here you're worrying about that and I just think you you are so deeply compassionate and I thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Can you put it on the floor? Put it on the floor until someone's ready. During the meditation, like this, oh, yeah, um, it's it's pretty strange. I have the half, half smile, yeah, said half, make make yourself, you know, smile, and I I was feeling happy after I just did the half smile, and then you said the word compassion, and I felt good, radiant. And then caring, you said, and I felt even more better. But then when you said sympathy, somehow it kind of dragged me down. Um, And then at the end you said, let go of some of the things. And I let go of sympathy. And then I felt radiant again. I felt good again. Just kind of like, you know, a funny feeling. Great. Yeah, so it's, uh, that's great. Uh, and uh, different people have different associations with some words. And so, uh, and I think sympathy is one of those words that can kind of go two different directions. It can kind of lean towards beautiful, being sympathetic in a wonderful way, but it can also lean in the direction of pity. You know, and so I wonder what, what is your association with the word pity? Yeah, it's not, not, no one wants pity. I'm glad you were able to let go of it. Thank you.
And let's take the mic. If you can take, give, give the mic to, to her here. And then we'll slowly pass it around. Because sometimes people only speak if they actually have it. It's a, it's a, it's a, big, it's a big, you know, it's a big thing to kind of get into the middle of the circle to. So we'll just, you don't have to say anything, but just pass it around. We'll see if, if anything more wants to be said here. I have had to let go of my very tenuous anyway relationship with my brother Uh, because of a breach of of integrity um, on his part and and um, I was showing him I was trying to, I, I was trying to rebuild a relationship with him after a long pause. I told him, if you want to have a relationship with me, you need to show me that you can be integrous with me. And this is what is needed. And, and uh, so, uh, uh, we carried on, carried on, and then boom, it happened again. And so then I cut it off. And so, my... sadness is that is that in my heart I I would like I would have wanted to be in his life in order to be there for him he's having a very difficult time he's HIV positive he's mostly alone um, but yet um, he's caused a lot of trouble f- for me, total drama when he, he's in touch. So for my own sake and for c- my own compassion for my own self, I had to use my own best judgment. So that's really what's up for me in terms of compassion. That's what's been on my mind about do I pick up the <laughs> mic. Yeah. yeah. So. Thank you. Yes. They're telling us, yes. Big, yes. It's a big thing. Big. Yeah. So I remember several years ago, Gail, um, I was having a conversation with you because I was getting ready to uh, visit patients as a volunteer chaplain in the hospital. And, and you said, well, what does empathy mean to you? And I said, it means feeling what the other person is feeling. And you said, if I recall correctly, he said, well, if you're with somebody who's severely depressed and you start feeling severely depressed, how is that really going to help? And I heard that, and um, it was just extremely helpful to me, mm. and I think that your, your talk pertained. Great, to that. great. Thank you, Martha. I've heard just the right message today. Thank you. <laughs> I don't know what to say. I think I'm still working on this whole thing. Yeah. Uh, I guess uh, to, I guess the things I've said today have to do with seeing other people, the examples of things that other people do. Um, being with someone, I, I lived at. A, I used to live in a, a, a Dharma center where we all lived there, and it was in a neighborhood where some rough things happened. And one night, a pimp was out beating up a prostitute on the front steps, so we went out. And the pimp sort of backed off because we started talking about the police and he kind of made himself scarce. But the woman was very upset. And I couldn't, like about five or six of us were out there trying to get near her. I couldn't get near her. There was a woman who was staying with us uh, who was from Canada and she was a nurse. And somehow she could get next to her. It was very interesting to me. So the two were sitting down together and then the nurse, uh, the woman who had been injured wanted a glass of water and the nurse was sharp. She said, don't bring ceramic or glass because she could break it and hurt herself, you know. I mean, she really knew her way around. We didn't know any of that, you know. So we found, we didn't have paper cuffs. We found something, you know. And uh, I don't remember. I think she went to a hospital, you know, because uh, she did have some injuries. 
But I, I just remember being very impressed by that. Like we, a bunch of us were out there, we wanted to do something, but I, I don't know. There was like this air between me and her, and I couldn't sit down. You know, I couldn't get near her, and the other person could go and sit down. I thought it was great. Hmm. Yeah. Great. Um, the morning session to me was also very useful in terms of you don't have to have a particular person. You can be compassionate to any beings or to anything in the world. Um, that helps me realize that I could have been behaving that way after the tsunami in Japan because I was fe- feeling very helpless. Um, like somebody said here, all you can do is just write a check. But that doesn't solve my helplessness to help them. You know, I can't possibly go there and then be compassionate to every single being that was affected. But now that I realize that I could be compassionate here, it doesn't have to be to to a particular being or person. That's very helpful. Great. Thank you. Um, I guess I guess I respond to um, people's smiles and listening to me and that is what I give to other people um, mostly mm, thank you I, I enjoyed um, hearing the separation between Karuna and then the active part um because I find that the more I can um, sit with my own difficult mind states, um, you know, when the compassion arises in me to just be present for that, the easier it is for me to recognize when somebody else has a difficult mind state and I can be with it in that way. And when I can be with it in the same way I can be with my own uh, difficult mind states, create space for an action to just kind of come out of that naturally. When you said, what lesson do we get? You know, you said before. And uh, it was amazing, the experience that I always think of, the compassion is always someone who's suffering and that have to have compassion. And I realized, you know, I can have also the same to people who are, who are happy and, and, and joyful. Mm. And that also re- reminded me when I meditate that a lot of time I'm, like, I'm looking for something to, you know, to let go of instead of, oh, you know, uh, oh, this is a good part in me now. You know, I recognize that part too. And, and also that compassion, I realize, is, is not having that judgment that suffering is bad. As someone mentioned about that too, that suffering is bad and happiness is better. You know, it's just being in, and that openness and space and that I got a lot today. Thank you so much. Okay, thank you. I appreciated the reminder that um, love does not mean <laughs> uh, having to worry about people and express that worry. And in fact, that I made the extension, extended that to uh, that can communicate to the person worried about that there's something to be about them to be worried about, and winds up being uh, not helpful. I'm kind of struck a little bit by the, the, the two-way um, aspect of being compassionate, and that is one must also open up to receive the compassion. And so it, it seems to me that we, in order to, to feel more one with others, we need to also break down our own internal barriers to be able to receive it. And mm. That is my gift to me today. Nice. Thank you. Um, I really liked how you warmed us up uh, by having us meditate on simplicity and tenderness and love. And um, how that can open us to uh, all this compassion that we all want to have, and we all want to experience, and we all want to be capable of doing. So it's almost like a technology of compassion. That was very good. Thank you.
just thank you so much for broadening this whole thing. I mean, compassion was just a word for me that I thought I'd never do it. So forget it. It's just all intellectual and, you know, and great that you guys can do it. And sometimes I didn't believe it, you know. You're just putting on an act. And, and so it just, it is just, um, so uh, what word do I want? Freeing. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah, I want to share something else. Um, I've always been intrigued by the lotus flower. And when I was in Japan two years ago in the summer for 10 days in Kyoto, while my husband was working, I, the garden I wanted to see the most was the lotus garden because July is the month when the lotus is open fully. And it was pouring rain, and I went and got soaked. And I, was, I stayed there several hours. I photographed a lot. And I was very intrigued by the fact that when you look down, um, you, you see a muddy kind of pool of kind of, you know, you're shaking your head, kind of that green goop and stuff. And um, I was really puzzled by it. And um, today it just hit me that um, from mud and slime, which is what it is, that emerges this beautiful lotus. And I really felt a much deeper connection with it. Mm, than nice. just its beauty. Thank you yeah. for today. Thank you. Uh, one of the things I realized today is um, I don't work. So what I do is I have compassion, basically, <laughs> for it. And boy, there's, there's a, lot of, a lot, of, lot of room for it. You know? One of my best friends has been having a terrible time over the last few months, and I, uh, I go see her in the hospital quite often, and she woke up after the last surgery, and she says, Anne, I don't want to live. I have no future. And I had a similar experience, and I, that was my reaction. I woke up also. I, God, did I survive that? But then there's always the next breath, and you think something different. So I'm able to be there with her for that, which is a, a great thing that you get from great suffering. But uh, on the other hand, I've been having a hard time lately, and I'm visiting my friend in the hospital, and she's regretting that, my gosh, I came from Vietnam here to do this great suffering. And I say, well, you know what? If you hadn't come... From Vietnam, I wouldn't have met you. And uh, she, she uh, helps me a lot. So I go see this person suffering in the hospital, and she gives me pleasure. Mm. And uh, there's always you know, different sides to things, and this just helps me remember that. Thank you. Um, well, I feel, um, in the end, very challenged by this day and, and very grateful for the challenge. Um, grateful to all of you actually um, but your comment about the lotus um, gave me courage to say I guess the, that what I'd been sort of thinking I retreat from words sometimes but I, I I'd like I'm drawn to art and I wonder that if there I'm, I'm wondering now if artistic expression and music and uh, poetry and Images, poetic images, or concepts like the lotus um, can be of of help. <laughs> mm, so, yes. Thank you. Yes. Over here. Yoga teacher Judith Hanson Lassiter always signs off her emails and concludes sittings uh, in her yoga and meditation classes with the saying. May you live like the lotus at home in the muddy water. Mm. Nice. May you live like the lotus at home in the muddy water. Put it in the floor. I have one. Just leave it in the floor. So, thank you. Well, thank you all very much. So I'd like to... um, end with one other idea that maybe you can be challenged there's a little bit more if there's more space um, so compassion active compassion is to do something for others there's you know infinite number of things we can do for people and it could be for yourself it could be for a neighbor it could be for a stranger it could be for many people but so do something there's many many things we can do 
And maybe you have an association with active compassion. Maybe you're scared of it. Maybe you feel you're obligated to do it. Maybe you feel it's nice to do. All kinds of things. But I don't know what your associations with it is. But what would happen to if you understood, what happened to you, your relationship to all this, if you understood that active, active compassion is a form of generosity? What happens then? How does that change the, the understanding of it or the associations? Because we people won't hear otherwise. Mm-hmm. When you use that term with it, it kind of takes the high drama out of it and makes it more approachable. Mm, nice. Okay, great. Um, also, um, for me, I feel like it's self-affirming. It's very deep because... I've just given a lot of myself over the years and I never really gave myself credit. Instead I beat myself up about what I haven't done and I never valued it. And just it brings me to tears. Mm. Just what you just said. Thank mm, you. Great. Well, I think active compassion with gener- generosity is like an actionable uh, thing that you have to do. It's not that you have just the radiant compassion towards anybody. Um, it's 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 more it's more open, and it's like the needs to do something, but it still feels open to me. Mm. It feels. Good. Nice, great. Very nice. <clears throat> so if compassion was a subset of generosity, or compassion came from generosity, One of the things that it does, I believe, is that <clears throat> it's easier to understand generosity as an as a um, as non-obligatory. Compassion can have the feeling you're supposed to be compassionate, but if it's understood to be a form of generosity, you know, you could offer it if it seems appropriate. Hmm. Ah, so for you, generosity is obligatory? This year, I'm not going to be able to afford to make the same uh, uh, financial contributions that I have in the past. And um, I feel guilty, and as a result, I feel like I'm not being compassionate because I can't, and I'm feeling just tight and constricted about it all. Great. (laughs) (laughs) It's about time. So that's my challenge right now. Great. That's a good challenge. Better sooner than later. (laughs) Probably came just at the right time.
I think compassion is easier than generosity. Oh. I'm not a generous person. <laughs> but you see somebody suffering, you know, there's something that kind of draws you. Oh. Maybe it's unrecognized generosity. <laughs> <laughs> For you, maybe it's unrecognized in a right. <laughs> when I'm um, working with patients, I find that um, it's easier for people to receive compassion if they look at it as an act of generosity mm. on their part in receiving. Ah. In particular, if they have to all of a sudden not be able to drive uh-huh. and, the, and the children have to step in and do things to, that they're not used to doing for yeah. themselves or they're used to doing it for themselves. Yeah. I find that if you speak about it as a generous act to receive, it, it lands a little easier. Mm, nice. Great. So um, I, I hope some of these ideas are challenging. I'd like, like to you know Buddhism is supposed to be challenging in some degrees, offer you new perspectives, stretch you beyond what you normally, how you normally understand. And the, um, um, so this idea that uh, there can be compassion without distress, I think is a very important idea, that, or that compassion in and of itself, in its purity, has no distress in it. But maybe we feel some distress, but where do we lean towards? Do we lean towards the distress or we lean towards the compassion? And if we lean towards the compassion, the distress doesn't have to get in the way and this beautiful thing can happen. And that um, compassion can be an attitude that we carry with us independent of a particular suffering that's in front of us. It's just We're, we're just compassionate. We, that's our attitude we carry with us. And If we meet suffering, we're ready for it. If we don't meet suffering, we, we can smile. And then active compassion, you know, there's, uh, sooner or later, that has, has to be expressed, that has to be acted on. <clears throat> because if we don't act on it, uh, I think we do a kind of violence to ourselves. We kind of are bottling ourselves up in some ways. But acting on it can be very, in very, very small ways. Um, it can be just a smile. I could say hello and ask someone how they are. It's, it's um, just be sitting next to someone who's in distress or... It doesn't have to be a big deal. Same thing with generosity. It doesn't have to be a big deal. Um, we offer what we can. And, um, and that, uh, I, uh, you know, I, uh, I like this idea to think that, that it's very helpful to be, become free of obligation. I don't think there is spiritual freedom, the, the awakening of Buddhism. Uh, if we're left with feeling that we're obligated to do anything at all. And some people feel, but, but if I'm not obligated, then I won't do anything. I'll just be a couch potato. And, you know, we have to, we're supposed to save the world. We're supposed to do, you know, so, you know, we have to. If we don't, you know. And I think that comes from a lack of confidence in how wonderful our human hearts are. That when we no longer have obligation whatsoever, then we'll respond. <laughs> we'll respond some way. But then we'll respond maybe according to who we are, what the situation needs, rather than some idea of what it's supposed to be. And so maybe it's, uh, you know, maybe an act of generosity, an act of compassion, uh, when it's no obligation, no shoulds, and no fitting it into a box of how it's supposed to look, maybe it'll look very, very different than uh, you could have ever imagined uh, otherwise. There was a, I knew a woman who was working as a chaplain at um, San Francisco General. And she went to see a woman in the ER who was dying. And she was dying in a very angry way. And so she, was, she turned her back towards everyone in the hospital and was just facing the wall. And she wouldn't communicate to anyone. And so the chaplain sat down next to her. And you know what she did? What do you think she did? What? Would, what? Turned her back. Turned her back towards her. <laughs> Sometimes that's maybe, yeah, maybe. What would you do for someone who turned their back? She's dying, and she turned her back. To, didn't want anybody. Maybe okay. Sit silently with her. Acknowledged her. 
maybe acknowledge her, but maybe. Laugh. What? Laugh and smile, maybe. Climate, maybe. Good. Sing to her. So a lot of options, you know. So you, maybe you wouldn't know what those options are until you showed up in the situation, and 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 that's what this chaplain did. She sang "Amazing Grace" to her. But I wouldn't sing. <laughs> I tried singing to my kids when they were young, and they asked me to stop. <laughs> I can't sing for anything, so you're not going to get that from me. <laughs> So, um, so thank you for today. Uh, very much appreciated you being here and being part of this and exploring this with you all. And and uh, it was kind of felt to me it felt like a tender day and meaningful to kind of share it with all of you. And so thank you. Uh, are there maybe seven people who could stay behind and do the basic tidying up that we do? The, you know, ten minutes or so. The bathrooms, the kitchen, the floor. So one, two. Three, four, five, six, seven. Okay, and Martha's the manager, so maybe check with her and, and uh, know what to do. And and I thank you all. And may our exploration of compassion today uh, be serve in some ways that we can uh, lighten the load of the people we encounter the next week. May all beings have less suffering. Thank you. <laughs>